It's church. That song is going to go a lot with what I'm talking about this morning uh, in part of my message. Uh, I told them I had never heard that song before. Uh, and they discovered that because when that song was popular in the church, I was in the nursery. That's why uh, I had never heard it before. Uh, they're like, hey, we used to sing this song all the time. And then did some math and realized how long ago that was. Uh, but I said, man, I said, I, I wish I would have heard that before. I, you could preach a whole sermon on everybody wants to sit at the table, but nobody wants to work the fields. Man, that's true uh, in our world today, not just in our churches. So uh, thank you, ladies, uh, for that song. We're going to be starting in 2 Samuel chapter 23. You can go ahead and turn there. 2 Samuel chapter 23. We're going to start in verse 8. Um, one thing that I've always hated was when Hollywood would do Bible movies. Uh, I just, I never could watch them. They always added a bunch of stuff that wasn't necessary, uh, changed what the meaning of things were. I've just never been able to get into uh, when uh, Hollywood would do these movies based on the Bible. My thought is, as I read so many of these passages, is, you know what, you could write a whole book series. You could do some really cool movies. I like action movies, uh, sword fights and all these things. You could do some really cool movies uh, and not even have to add anything to the scripture. Um, so if anybody out there puts out a movie based on what I'm talking about this morning, I expect some uh, royalties, okay? Uh, we'll discuss that later. Uh, uh, but one of those stories, one of those groups of people that would be awesome, I think, to uh, write a book series on is David and his mighty men. Uh, we're going to look at some stories and we're going to look at David's mighty men uh, as an example for us today. Uh, the title of my message is The Fight of Our Lives. Uh, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but in multiple places in the Bible, it compares our life, the Christian life, to a battle, right? Put on the whole armor of God. I have fought the good fight. We're going to read some of these verses as we go along. So I want you to understand there is a biblical uh, reference to uh, us being in a battle, us facing an enemy. Uh, and I'm going to look at one of these, uh, I'm going to look at this chapter, and I'm going to try to get you into my mind, okay? Uh, I was joking with my mom the other day, uh, reading this the thing that said they could they could read minds. They're psychic. My mom said, "I hope they don't want to be in my mind, right? Uh, that, that, they might. I might scare them out of being a psychic if they get into my mind, right? So I'm gonna try to get you. Uh, I have a vivid imagination. I love reading these stories and just imagining because these are real people. A lot of times we read the Bible and think of these people as superhuman superheroes. Uh, we watch all these Marvel movies and Star Wars and all these things, and the heroes." are superhuman, right? They, they don't have the same faults and failures that we have a lot of times. But these were real people. Uh, this is our, these are historical events. And as we read these stories, uh, I want you to imagine some of these things. And I'm going to try to bring it to life for you this morning. Starting in verse 8, 2 Samuel 23. He says, These be the names of the mighty men whom David had. The Tachmanite that sat in the seat chief among the captains, 
The same was Adino the Esnite, and if I mispronounce something, you can tell me about it later, okay? It's going to happen. Now, he lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines that were in there gathered together to battle and the men of Israel were gone away. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave into the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to spoil. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hererite, and the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines, but he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. And three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time into the cave of Agilom, and the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephaim. And David was then in an hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was in then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me a drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem and was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is, this, is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. And Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was chief among three, and he lifted up his spear against three hundred and slew them and had the name among the three. Was he not most honorable of the three? Therefore, he was their captain, howbeit the, he attained not one of the first three. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kebzeel, who had done many acts, he slew two lion-like men of Moab. He went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in time of snow, and he slew an Egyptian a goodly man, and the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but he went down to him with a staff, with a stick, and plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and slew him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah the son of Jehoiada and had the name among the three mighty men. He was more honorable than the thirty, but he attained not to the first three, and David set him over his guard. Imagine telling these stories. Imagine seeing these things and trying to tell uh, your friends and your family and uh, you know, all the little boys who want to be soldiers one day telling them these stories. Imagine seeing uh, Eleazar, one of the three mighty men, when they defied the Philistines, they were gathered together. Or starts with uh, the Tachmanite, right? He lifted up his spear against 800 and slew them at one time. 800, I'm just telling you right now. If you handed me a spear and gave me a dummy... That doesn't move, doesn't fight back, and said, here, stab this thing 800 times. I'd be washed lap out. Are you kidding me? Just one, two, three, four, five. Can you imagine? There probably is not a man in here that could do that. We'd be all wired. We'd have to take turns. Maybe about 10 of us taking turns, we might could get it done. But this man with a spear slew 800 soldiers, 800 men who were fighting back at one time. Imagine uh, in your mind, 800, here comes with a spear. Eleazar, I love the story. Eleazar, he was so ingrained in the battle, in my mind, uh, and I probably watched too many movies. In my mind, I imagined him looking someone like Aragorn, if you watched 
uh, Lord of the Rings, big Lord of the Rings fan, okay? Uh, somebody like him, and he's got his sword, and he's fighting, and he's going, and there's this big battle, right? And he's, he's just fighting all these men, and he's parrying, dodging, and fighting, and he's fighting so long, so hard, they get the battle, the enemy is gone, he sits down, and he realizes that he's unable to do his hand like that to drop the sword. He is so exhausted, he's so tired, he sits down, and he looks at it, and he can't even move his hand to let go of the sword. That's how hard that he had fought in this battle. And the Bible says, uh, and he, the Lord wrought a great victory that day. And if you'll notice the wording here, it never says Eleazar won a great victory. The Lord wrought a great victory that day. Amen. And after him was Shema. He gathered together on uh, a piece of land that had food, lentils, it was important, and everyone else ran away, and he fought, and he killed the Philistines, the ones that were coming against it, uh, and all these men, and that all, they did all the work, and other people came to the spoil. And then David made a mention, David, their king, that they loved, that they were loyal to, that they would do anything to, David was having a conversation, he said, man, that well in the corner of the city over there had the best water. It was just the freshest. It must be a spring under there. It seemed like it was just always colder than all the other wells in the town. Man, I would love to just get a drink of water from that well. His men heard it. Without question, they went. Broke through the Philistines. Imagine three men hacking their way through the Philistines. They get to the well. One of them has to drop the bucket down to get to the water, and the other two are standing guard, right? He gets the water and take it to David, their king. Then you have... Beniah, who fought two lion-like men. I don't know what it means to be a lion-like men. Maybe they were big and shaggy. I trimmed my beard last night so I wouldn't be so shaggy this morning. <laughs> lion-like, big men. He fought them. Then it says he went down and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in the time of snow. There's a book I read not too long ago talking about slaying a lion in a snowy pit. i just go ahead and tell you, if there's a lion, I'm not messing with him. He can go his way, I'll go mine. If he's in a pit, I sure I'm not messing with him. He can stay down there in that pit. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, if it's snowing and it's icy, I can tell you what I'm not going to do. Is be slipping and sliding around trying to fight a lion in a pit on a snowy day. I, I just go ahead and tell you, that's, that's not going to happen. All right? I don't know. Uh, there's sometimes my kids will say, oh, we should. I'm going to say, tell you what we're not going to do. That is, that is that, what you just said. And I'm not going to chase a lion into a pit on a snowy day. But they were brave. They would have done anything. He slew an Egyptian, a goodly man, a big dude. He had a spear, and all he had was a staff, a stick. And if you can imagine, I can imagine this in a movie. This big Egyptian guy, he's got his spear. He's probably... A foot taller than this other guy. And all this other guys, he's got a, sta a staff that he took from one of the shepherds. Right? That Egyptian comes after him with a spear. And he ducks and dodges. Whacks the guy. Takes his spear. Kills him with his own spear. I mean, that, that's exciting. That is, uh, I love, I, you know, if I was, a, if I was a doing a movie, I'm like, man, I could, I could do a movie about that. Right? These were mighty men. They faced overwhelming enemies, personal exhaustion, unfair advantages. We're facing some of the same things today. And to defeat the enemy, they had to be unafraid 
uncomfortable and unwavering. They didn't let fear ruin their lives. He didn't go up and say, man, that's a big dude. He's got a spear. All I got to stick. I reckon I'll run. No. They didn't say, oh, there's a big lion. Mm-mm. He's way bigger than I am. And it's snowing. It's a little slick. Yeah, if it, guys, if it wasn't snowing, you know I'd, I'd take care of that lion if it wasn't snowing. But it's cold. You know, it wasn't no excuses. When David said, I, want, I, I wish I could have some water, they they went right to work. Why? Because they loved their king. They were faithful to their king. And they would have done anything it took to protect and to serve their king. And we're going to look at these men as our examples. Because uh, we face a battle today. Now, we don't face Philistines. There's no shaggy Moabs that we have to fight. Uh, luckily, we're not chasing lions on a snowy day. Uh, imagine out here, it's cold. We're not doing that. We don't have to face a big Egyptian with a spear. We don't, we don't face physical battles, but there's a spiritual battle going on. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, describes the battle. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Listen. The pastor is not your enemy. You don't need to show up and set the pastor straight. Your brother or sister sitting in the pew on the other side of the church is not your enemy. Well, let me tell you, I'm going to go give them a piece of my mind. Be careful. You give away too much, you won't have nothing left. Some of y'all are already short. All right? We're going to be in trouble. They're not the enemy. The church down the street is not our enemy. Listen. When we pray. Listen, Pastor Joe preached on prayer last week. And I felt convicted about some stuff. I'm going to talk about conviction here. I don't want to get ahead of myself. We ought to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should be praying for the church. Listen, if there's a church down the street and they got a good pastor and they're preaching the gospel, I want to see revival break out in their church as much as I want to see revival break out in my church. I just go ahead and tell you, they're not the enemy. It's not us versus them. Well, you know, we, we got to make sure we have more people at our event than this Baptist church has at their event. That's not what it's about. These, these men didn't go around saying, well, how many, how many men did you kill? Well, let me tell you how many men I killed. Well, you yeah. know. Let's look at the numbers. Well, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'd count that guy. He was, he was kind of scrawny. You should have seen how big the dude I killed was. There wasn't none of that. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Let me tell you, the Bible talks about the evil day. We're there. The Bible talks about uh, calling good evil and evil good. We're there. And we're going to have to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is a spiritual enemy. And it's also the flesh. James 4 uh, chapter 4, verse 1 says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? 
Our flesh. Sometimes we give the devil too much credit. Pastor Joe mentioned this. Well, the devil made me do it. Nah, you wanted to do it. I cannot tell you how many times I've dealt. Not, you know, I deal more with teenagers. You deal with teenagers. Well, Brother Forrest, I don't know how it happened. I just I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. No, 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 no. You were right where you meant to be. With the people you meant to be with, the only wrong was the fact that you got caught. Right? That's always the excuse. Well, you know, I was at the wrong, wrong place, wrong time. I didn't know. You didn't. Everyone in the county knows what them people are up to. And you're going to act like you, you hang out with them every weekend, but you didn't know what they was going to be up to? Come on. It's us. We are our own worst enemy. I'll just tell you that. We get ourselves in trouble. Most of us don't need anybody else to help us get in trouble. We get ourselves in our own trouble. That's all we need is ourselves. We don't fight flesh and blood. We fight the flesh of ourselves. It's not somebody else. Let me go ahead and tell you, I deal with people all the time. And it's always somebody else's fault. Well, let me tell you why I quit this job because of this manager. And I quit this job because of that coworker. And I quit that job because of the leadership team. And I quit that job, and it's always somebody else's fault. We have to take responsibility for ourselves. And the battle that we face isn't with swords. We're not fighting. You know, hopefully there's no fist fights going on in the church parking lot. We don't need that. Our fight is a spiritual battle. And we fight against things like indifference. We got too many people come to church. Hey, you know, it is what it is, whatever. Whatever happens, happens. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to get my shot of spirituality. Then I'm going to go live my life the way I want to live my life. Just leave me alone. I'll show up on Sunday. I'll pay my tithe. I'll put $20 in the offering plate. Leave me alone six days out of the week. I'll show up on Sunday. Indifferent. Laziness. They sang about this. And I'm going to talk about some laziness. Spiritual laziness. We got a lot of people who want to tell somebody else what to do. They want to come up with ideas, but then they don't want to put any action to it. Like they said, they want to sit at the table, but they don't want to work in the field. If you've ever managed people, you've got a lot of people who want their name on the payroll, but they don't want them, their name on the work schedule. They like receiving that check, but they don't want to show up to work. Happens all the time. That's the world we live in. And it's creeped its way into the church. Laziness, bitterness, unforgiveness. I'm talking about... Men and women who've been in church longer than I've been alive can't stand the sight of somebody. It's in the church. It shouldn't be in the church. It's sin. You understand that? I don't know any other, any other way to put it. If you walk into this church and you have hate in your heart towards somebody because they said something, did something that you don't like, it is pure and out sin. Matter of fact, Jesus said it's the same as murder. Bless it. Lord have mercy. Got real, it's real quiet in here this morning. Bitterness, unforgiveness, pride. Well, let me tell you, if they, would just do, if they would just run things the way I want them run, if they would just do the things that I want done, that we'd, have, we'd be running 500 people in church. they just let me make decisions. Pride, anger. That goes back to that bitterness. Well, let me tell you what so-and-so said to me. Well, let me tell you what that church did let me go ahead and tell you, I went to that church 25, 30 years ago, and then people ran me off. I ain't going back. Well, bless you. That anger, it's, it's sin. So in discord among the brethren. It's one of the things that the Bible says God hates. Hates it. 
Well, let me go ahead and tell you about the brother so-and-so. Let me tell you what they've done. Let me tell you why you shouldn't like them either. You come be on my side, we're going to be mad at them together. You know somebody else that don't like them? Good, bring them too. We'll have coffee. We'll all sit around and talk about how we don't like so-and-so. We'll have the, the I hate Pastor Joe club, right? We'll have the, I can use Pastor Joe because he could take it. All right, we'll use the, we'll, we'll sit around, we'll talk about all the bad things. Let me go ahead and tell you, there's nobody in this world who wants Rinkin Baptist Temple to succeed more than Joe Springer. There's nobody in Rinkin Baptist Temple who wants teenagers to show up on Wednesday night like Brother Forrest Foreacre. There's nobody who wants to see people saved and see the pews filled any more than we do. Amen. You understand that? Amen. And we're going to sit around, we're going we to... We're going to run this guy out because, you know, he, he, he painted the walls without telling nobody. Can you believe that? We're going to, Lord have mercy. We're going to, it's sin. I don't know any other way to put it. It is pure and out sin and we have allowed it to creep into the church. Second Timothy, Paul says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. It is a fight. It's not easy. Let me go ahead and tell you. These men, they didn't, they didn't take the easy route. When you fight 800 men at a time with a spear, you're not taking it easy. I guarantee it. When there's a, pit, a lion already in the pit down there and you go after him, you didn't take the easy route. I sure would have went around that pit. I'll just tell you. I would have found another way to go. Any, any of you ever seen a snake out in the woods? Let me tell you what I don't do. Hey, let's see how high I can jump over this rattlesnake. That'll be fun. No, sir, I go around that joker. He, he can have his space. I'll keep mine. Listen, the Christian life is about battles. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross, what? Daily. How wonderful would it be if I just proclaimed, listen, I'm holy. And so from now for the rest of my life, I'm going to be holy every day. I'm going to make all the right decisions. Every day, I'm just, I, I declared it once, now it happened. Not every day. Every day. Day. So what do we need? What do we need for our fight? If we are going to fight the devil, if we're going to fight the flesh, what do we need? The first thing you need is salvation. You cannot walk or work on a spiritual plane without first having salvation. Amen. Romans 3 verse 23 right, says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. And sin disconnects us from God. That's what, all the way back to the Adam and Eve. The wages of sin is death. When Adam sinned, he was disconnected from God, which is the source of life, which brought on spiritual death, which is why you have to be born again. Because when we're saved, our spirit is revived. We are now, through the blood of Christ, reconnected with God, who is the source of life, and he revives that spiritual part of us. You have to be saved. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, right? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then the next couple verses go on to say, uh, if you don't believe in Christ, you're condemned because you're condemned already. You're already condemned because you've not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Through Christ, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but 
by me. Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me tell you something. Going to church don't take you to heaven. Well, my granddaddy was a preacher. Good. If he accepted Christ as his Savior, he's in heaven too. I don't care how long he was a preacher. Standing behind a pulpit and reading the word of God don't make you a Christian either. The only way to go to heaven is through Jesus Christ. At some point in your life, you decided, you talked to God and said, God, I'm sorry for the things that I've done. I accept the gift of your son. I want to go to heaven based on the fact that you gave your son to die on the cross to pay for my sins so that I can go to heaven. It's nothing that I've done because Ephesians tells us, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing you can do to get to heaven. I don't care. You think about the greatest person in history, the person who did the most wonderful things. If they never accepted Christ as their Savior, they didn't get to heaven. That, that's what it, that is boiled down. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And we cannot face the enemy. We cannot overcome our flesh without Christ. So the first thing you need is salvation. The second thing you need is determination. These men were willing to be uncomfortable. All right? We have, we have a couple ex-military, right? When you were in the military, were you ever uncomfortable? <laughs> That's a silly question, right? You're like, yes, but most of my military career uncomfortable, right? Yeah. They make you do things you don't want to do. They make you sleep places you don't want to sleep. They make you eat stuff that's been in a package and you've got to add water to it and it tastes gross. Right? Fighting a battle is uncomfortable. But we as Christians, we've lulled. We've, 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 we've found our comfort zone. Well, blessed, I go to church on Sunday mornings. I hear the preaching. And then I just live my life Monday through Saturday. And that makes me happy. Makes me content. I'm comfortable. Leave me alone. You ever been in bed? Maybe about 5.30 in the morning, I had a child come in there. Mama, Daddy, Lord, I'm comfortable. Leave me alone. Go away. Right? I'm warm under these covers. I don't want to get up. My husband won't turn the heat over 65. That's how it is in my house. Right? I don't want to get out of bed. There's too many people in the church. I'm comfortable. Leave me alone. Don't ask me to do. Don't ask me to work. I'll give my 10%. That's all you need. As long as I pay my money, you don't need my time. A lot of people with that attitude. A lot of people with that attitude. They're willing to be uncomfortable. We've become comfortable with sin. We've allowed things into the households that we would have never allowed. We've allowed things into the church that we would have never allowed. If I were to tell you, yeah, come on over to my house. Um, we saw a snake crawl across the living room earlier, but I think he's gone. We go ahead and tell you, there's some people here, you wouldn't go into my house. You're like, unless you can show me a dead snake that you killed out of your house, I'm not going to your house. Why? Because there's a snake in that house. Now, that's how I feel about it. If you told me there was a tarantula that got loose. Now, listen, I, we were at camp one year. This has been a long time ago. We were at a camp near Valdosta. Venture of Faith. And one of the guys had a tarantula. And 
and he let it walk around on his bald head and he thought it was funny to go around and go up. And I told him, I said, listen, I'm letting you know right now, if you bring it to me, I'm going to kill it. And you can't get mad because I am warning you. If it touches me, it's dead. I said, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not, I'm just, anyone who knows me, if I say something like that, that's just the way it is, okay? That's just the way I was raised. If you say you're going to do something, you do it. And I let him know, you, six feet, this was before COVID, okay? All right, I'd rather get a kiss from somebody with COVID than get a tarantula within six feet of me, all right? I just, I'm not interested in it, okay? And, but that's how we should be with sin. You see somebody sowing discord in the church, you should go to them and say, hey, brother, I love you, but what you're doing is wrong. You got a problem with a preacher, go talk to the preacher. I'll go with you. Let's go talk to him. You see bitterness, anger, two brothers, sisters in Christ, can't stand each other, can't talk to each other, can't even be in the same room. That's a problem. We need to do, we need to do something about it. I'm not talking about calling them in front of the church and making an example out of them. I'm not talking about that legalism type stuff. I'm talking about in love, going to somebody that you love and say, hey, listen, I love you, but what you're doing here is not right. We need to get this fixed because it's hurting the church. We need to get this fixed because it's hurting the cause of Christ. We need to get this fixed because it's hurting your family. We have allowed things to come into the church and we've not determined ourselves to serve the Lord. These guys, they had determined themselves. They would have followed King David anywhere. Didn't matter what the odds were. Didn't matter what he asked them to do. They were willing to lay down their lives for King David. No questions. No no compromise. They didn't stop. They didn't stutter. They didn't wait. As soon as King David said he wanted something, it got done. And that has got to be how it is in our lives. When we get a call or command from Christ, we need to jump immediately. We need to serve God without question. We need to follow his word without question. I cannot tell you it bothers me when I talk to people and they say things like, well, I know, but... I, I can still drink and be okay. Well, I know, but I can still, I can still go out to these places with my buddies. I'm not doing the things that they're doing. And what they're saying is, I'm just going to get as close to sin as I can get, and we'll be okay. I'm just going to dip my toe in sin a little bit, but I'll be fine. Pride, I'm strong enough to handle it. Let me go ahead and tell you. When God says don't do something, you ought to stay as far away from it as you can. Simple as that. No questions. No, well, but don't you think if you look at the Greek, maybe? No. If God said stay away from it, stay away from it and stay as far away from it as you can stay. If God said you need to be example, you need to be salt, you need to be light, you need to be inviting people to church, you need to be telling people about Christ, guess what? Shouldn't be a question. Well, you know, maybe there's a chance. I don't want to offend. No. Jump. We need to determine. We've let laziness 
slip into the church. We've let laziness slip into our homes. We've let laziness slip into our lives. There was a study done. Um, People were asked what brought them to visit a church. What brought you to visit a church? 2% said they saw an advertisement, saw it online, something like that, and decided to go visit. 6% said they were invited by the pastor. 6% said they came to church because of an organized event. 86% of the people said they came to church because they were invited by a friend or a relative. Almost 9 out of 10 people said, I went to church for the first time because a friend or a relative invited me. Lifeway Research did a study, and they took a group of church members, churchgoers, and asked them how many times they had personally invited an unchurched person to attend church service or another program. Not even like come to church, like come to our fall festival or come to our men's prayer breakfast or come to our... How many of them had ever invited somebody... 48% of church attendees responded, zero. Almost half the people sitting in churches have never once invited someone to church. Do you you, you know how crazy that is? It's insane. Never once. 33% said once or twice. Which means over 80% of the church has never invited more than one or two people to church, ever. And yet, you know how often we hear, oh, we need to see church, we need to see more families, we need to see more people, we need to see this, we need to see that. And yet so many people never invite anyone to church. It's the same as me standing up here and saying, man, I need to lose some weight. Golly, I need to lose some weight. Well, guess what? You know how many times I went to the gym last week? Zero. You know how many pieces of cheesecake I had yesterday? Two. (laughs) Why? Because it's easy to say. It's hard to do. But you've got to be determined. You've got to decide. Anybody who's ever went went on a diet, who's ever lost weight, you look at some of these guys who get real big and bulky, it takes determination. You don't just kind of halfway decide you want to get in shape. You don't become a power lifter and win competitions. You know, I just decided maybe once a week I'd go to the gym. No, it takes determination. And our church lacks, and I'm not talking about just Rinkin Baptist Temple. I'm talking about the church as a whole lacks determination. Honestly, it's because it's not important to us. It doesn't purposefully impact us. Honestly, probably if I believe if I had a doctor say, say, Forrest, listen, your life is in danger. If you don't lose 30 pounds, you're going to die in a month. I'm going to tell you, I'd eat salads tomorrow. Why? Because now it's impacting me. Now it's become important to me because I want to live longer than a month because I got children that I want to see grow up. If we were standing out here in the parking lot and some crazy person started barreling down the parking lot 50 miles an hour as fast as they could go, and one of your friends was standing in the middle of the parking lot talking, would you say, well, you know, that's where they want to stand. I don't want to upset them by telling them to move. <laughs> no! Are you kidding me? You, 
You see one of your children standing in the parking lot, some crazy person's flying through at 50 miles an hour? You're going to holler. You're going to scream. You're going to make yourself look silly. Get out of the way. And if it's real important, you might move faster than you've ever moved to try and snatch them out of the way. I go and tell you, some of them grand youngins out there, some of you people, you've not ran in 38 years. But I'm telling you, you can move. You need to snatch your grand youngin out of the way. Why? Because now it's important. Now it affects me. Let me go ahead and tell you. We have friends, we have family members, and they are on the fast track to hell. It, I, I was having a conversation with Devin Salter the other day. I said, you know what makes me sad? You got adults who grew up in church. And I'm talking about, and some of y'all might be, this might describe some of your children. I don't mean to do that. They're adults, grew up in church. And if you were to talk to them and say, are you going to heaven? Yep, I know I'm going to heaven because when I was in church, I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. So I know I'm going to heaven. And they've got children, your grandchildren, they never take them to church. Can, can you imagine knowing that you're going to heaven and knowing that your child is not going to heaven and you don't do nothing about it? That, that makes me sad. I, it, it breaks my heart. I deal with the children's ministry and it makes me sad to know there are people who grew up in church, know they're going to heaven, and they've got children that if they were being honest, know we're not going to heaven. And they're doing nothing about it. Man, that makes me sad. That's, that breaks my heart. Because we've not allowed it to affect us. We've hardened our hearts. We've gotten comfortable. And if we're going to make a difference, we've got to be determined. The last thing we need is resignation. You've got to surrender to the Spirit. The hardest thing for people to do is give up control. You know why some people like to drive everywhere they go and not sit in the passenger seat? They like to be in control. As some of y'all know. You know why some people want to be meticulous over every little aspect of the budget? They like to be in control. I want to be in control. And for you to ask them to relinquish control and trust, no, I'm good. I'll just stay right here where I'm at. I got control. I'm in control. I've got it under control. And I feel comfortable as long as I'm under control. Let me go ahead and tell you. You're not going to be able to accomplish the things for Christ until you give up control. Until you go to God and say, God, whatever you want, that's what we're going to do. When David said, we're going to go over here, we're going to fight this battle, and we're going to take this on, his men didn't say, well, you know, David, I counted. They got a lot more guys than we got. And they got the high ground, David. We might need to discuss this. No. When David said fight, they fought. When David said go, they went. No questions about it. They resigned their will to their kings. We got too many Christians. Got too many Christians. They say, well, I got my budget under control. And I've got, you know, everything's good with my health right now. So I've got that under control. And they'll go weeks without ever talking to the Lord. They'll go weeks without praying. They'll go weeks without ever asking God to take care of their children, to pray for their children. They go weeks without praying for their grandchildren. Why? Because I've got it under control. Then something happens and they realize, oh, wait a minute, I don't have it under control. Then they want to go to God. Well, let me go ahead and tell you. 
It's a whole lot simpler if you've just already given it to him. I remember in Bible college. I uh, was trying to pay my school bill. And guess what? I wasn't making enough to pay my school bill. I went and I prayed. And I got along with God. I said, God, this is exactly what I prayed. I said, God, you told me to come to school here. There's a bill that needs to be paid. I can't pay, so you've got to take care of it. Guess what? Two days later, I got a call from my preacher back home. Which, you know, preacher Joy, I love him, but he's not good at keeping up with people. So he was very, I thought, Lord, why is preacher calling me? Am I in trouble? Right? That's just the way it was back then. Uh, he asked me, how's it going? All this. He said, well, how's your school bill? And I said, I, I, said, I did my budget this, this weekend. I'm going to be $800 short at the end of the year. Because I just go ahead and tell you, when I was in college, I didn't get a paycheck. I worked 30 hours a week, and I got a little stub that said, we gave this much to your school bill. I didn't even get the joy of cashing the check and then writing a check. All I got was a stub telling me how much money went to my school bill. Bless it. And he said, okay, that's what I needed to know. I got, he, said, he said, I'm going to send you something. And somebody had given $1,000 to pay for my school bill. But you know what? It had to come to the point where I got along with God and said, God, I've done everything I can do. I'm traveling on weekends, working 30 hours a week, driving home to see my girlfriend on Friday, Friday night every night, right? Burning gas back and forth between Jacksonville and Valdosta. I, I can't do it. And once I did that, God said, finally, I, now I can take care of it if you'll just let me do it. Just, let, just Listen, we want to fix things. And I get that as a man, okay? Sometimes the reason women don't tell us nothing is because they don't want you to fix it. They want you to listen. And they know if I tell you the problem, you're going to try to fix it. So I'm not even going to tell you. Right, ladies? You can, you can say amen. It's okay. Uh, all right? That, that's, that's what happens. But we're men. We're fixers. So ladies, next time you need to tell your husband, just tell him. Say, listen, I don't want a solution. I don't want your opinion. I just want to tell you what I'm dealing with. And then tell him, okay? And then he'll, he'll have to tense up because he'll want to give you the solution right away, right? It's okay. We want to fix things ourselves. But guess what? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You can't fix things that the devil's broke. You understand that? You can't fix things that the devil's broke. Only God can. That's what it boils down to. We cannot solve the world's problems ourselves. And we have to be willing to. To listen to the Holy Spirit. And I talked about Sunday. He's talking about prayer. And I don't even think he even mentioned what I was convicted about. Uh, but I felt convicted because I know I said, you know what? There are some people in my life that I've been complaining about that have bothered me. And I've not once prayed for them. I felt convicted about that. And let me go ahead and tell you. If you can come to church all the time. If you can listen to the Bible preached all the time. And you never feel convicted. You need to open your heart to the Holy Spirit. Even if you're a Christian, you need to soften your heart and be willing to say, you know what, I'm not perfect. What, what, what do I need to get today? What does the Holy Spirit need to fix in me? What does he need to help me grow? We have to resign ourselves to him. Corey Ten Boone made this quote. She said, trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting, and tedious of all work. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then the ministry of Jesus flows out of you. We got too many people. We got 
We got too many people standing in a pulpit trying to do the Lord's work on their own. We got too many people coming to church trying to live life on their own terms. And if we're going to fight the fight, if we're going to do something for the Lord, and I think if I were to go around and say, yes, I want to see revival. I want to see things happen. I want to see the church grow. Well, revival happens in individual hearts. That's the only way for it to happen. There's no secret revival juice I can come spray at the church and now the church has revival. No, revival starts in the hearts of individuals. We've been called to be salt and light. And if you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you say, Brother Forrest, I don't know if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. Get that settled today. Come talk to me. Find somebody you feel comfortable with that you know is a Christian. Talk to them Get that settled because that is the absolute first and most important thing that you can do if we're going to fight the good fight. If we're going to be able to get to the end of our lives, and like Paul said, I have fought a good fight, I have kept the faith. Starts with salvation. Then we got to be determined to follow God, be determined to do His will, to stay away from sin. And to do anything he's told us to do, even if it makes us uncomfortable. And that means resigning our will to his. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all that you've given us. I thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, I pray that you'll help us. Lord, I pray if there's someone here this morning. Lord, if they don't know they're saved, I pray they'll get that settled before they leave. Lord, if they're sitting here and they say, well, I think I might be maybe... Lord, I pray that they'll talk to somebody if it's not me, Lord. I pray that they'll get that settled. That is not something that we should be questioning, Lord. I pray that you'll help us, Lord, for salvation. Help us to be determined. A lot of us have been in church for a long time, and we've allowed ourselves to get comfortable. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be determined to do your will. Help us to be determined to spread your gospel. Help us to be determined to make a difference in those around us, Lord, and help us to humble ourselves and resign our will to yours, Lord. Just be with us as we take a time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.